2: Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, USBets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan, who might be from New Jersey, but he is not a Jets fan, <laughs> fortunately for him. The Jets sabotaged themselves in the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes by beating the Rams on Sunday, and the big winner was a better at FanDuel Sportsbook, who placed a $100 bet before the season at 120-1 to 1 odds, that the Jets would get their first win in week 15 against the Rams on the one hand. Wow. Amazing call by that gambler. On the other hand, that feels like a pretty lousy price for what is effectively a 14 game parlay. I would think the true odds are at least double what he got paid. John, what do you think? Ingenious bet by a sports fan with a crystal ball or proof that it's better to be lucky than
1: good. Oh, yeah. I think it's worse than a 13 game parlay, uh, which is betting the Jets will lose every game in that span. Then, after that happens, they have to beat a Rams team uh, in LA that had gone 33 and 15 in the previous three seasons. Uh, and since the Rams were 9 and 4 this season, that's 42 and 19. You can get some pretty sweet odds available for the Jets to win outright 10 minutes before kickoff. Not near 120 to 1, obviously, but you get to skip the first 13 legs of the parlay. That sounds like good deal Um, but this is one better i want to meet i've said before that i think preseason futures bets can be fun stocking stuffers you know you take your family member friend work colleague whatever neighbor uh take their favorite team bet five or ten bucks on them to win it all you know hand it over that's a lot more fun than a scratch off lottery ticket if you ask me a hundred dollars on this bet i mean how wealthy is this guy and i'm not being sexist here no woman on earth is dumb enough to make this sort of bet so i think I'm on safe ground there. Uh, Does he do dozens of these for thousands of dollars? You know, how many years of futility before this $12,000 ship finally came in?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I I have some of the same questions as you uh, about this better. Uh, I wonder, for starters, if the better hedged, you know, once once you get through the first 13 games at 0 13, here comes the game where you bet on the Jets to win and you'll make $12,000 if they win. Do you at least come back for like two grand on the Rams money line to lock in a little profit? Maybe not, you know, uh, With someone like this, maybe the hundred dollar loss or locking in a win of a hundred bucks or so doesn't mean anything to this better. Um, I also wonder if he and uh, and like you, I feel comfortable assuming it's a he uh, sprinkled a few different Jets first win in week X bets out there, you know, like like looked at the schedule and had a good feeling that they were going to start 0-8 or something like that and then put 100 bucks on every game from 9 through 16. Uh, the point is, I need some context here. Uh, but if this was the lone bet this person placed – Without context, I'm going to guess this person was more lucky than sharp. Uh, But, hey, the the real goal in sports betting is to be both, right? Uh, If if you're a little bit sharper than average and a little bit luckier than average, sports betting is a whole lot of fun. Uh, Definitely more fun than being a Jets fan.
1: Oh, everything more fun than being a Jets fan. I'm in the New York market. I hear them on the radio. uh, You know, the mewling, the bleeding, the... uh... The sobbing, it's uh, its a little tough to listen to. <laughs> yes,
2: not, nothing like that here on uh, Philadelphia Sports Radio, of course. Uh, well, thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 123 of Gamble On, the final episode of 2020, as we will be off next week for the holidays. Or at least I will be off next week for the holidays, which means Gamble On will be off. But the good news is there are always reruns to help fill the void. All of our previous 122 episodes are available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify.
1: Yes, and coming up a little later in the show, we're gonna be joined by uh, our boss, uh, Eric, and I, US Bets founder and CEO, Adam Small. Gonna help us reflect on the year that was in the gambling industry. And we're gonna ask Adam about the impact of COVID, the state of online poker, which he's quite the expert on, and the launch of sports betting in our company's home state of Tennessee. But first, it's been a busier week than I wanted really in the world of gambling, so let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling.
2: Last week, we began reporting on November sports betting handle. This week, we're going back in time and revisiting October betting handle. The reason is that the final state to report, Illinois, finally shared its October numbers last Friday, and they were fairly enormous. We mentioned briefly last week that Pennsylvania had a disappointing November in terms of handle. Illinois might be poised to actually move ahead of PA into third place next month. The relatively new Illinois betting market improved from $305.2 million in September all the way to $434.6 million in October, up 42.4%, powered by a full month of points bet and William Hill and with mobile betting accounting for 94.3% of the total handle. In terms of sportsbook rankings, DraftKings was number one in the state, FanDuel not too far behind in second place, and BetRivers a very close third. With Illinois' $434.6 million added to the pie, the national legal sports betting handle for the month of October comes in at a final tally of $3.264 billion, up 14% over September, and remarkable when you consider that pre-pandemic, the handle had never broken $2 billion. Uh, Also, national hold, or win for the books, was way up in October, landing at 8.21%, producing $267.8 million of revenue, nearly double the previous month. John, thoughts on Illinois' rapid ascent, and how short-lived will this $3.264 billion record be?
1: Well, you know, we didn't include New York State because its regulators don't announce the monthly handle for the four upstate uh, casinos. Uh, but my October guesstimate for them, based on revenues, I backpedaled to about 40 million. So that 3.3 yeah. billion figure you mentioned, all right, it stays at 3.3 billion, but now we're rounding slightly down instead of slightly up. So there's that. Right. Uh, but as far as Illinois, uh, it's a really good sports betting market, obviously, with the Chicago Pro Sports teams being in the heart of Big Ten college sports and with Notre Dame not too far across the border in Indiana. So also, I think the mobile percentage being a few ticks higher than other states uh, like New Jersey, it, it points, I think, to opportunities still ahead there for more Illinois casinos. And as for the monthly record, I don't see why we won't break a new one almost every month. The news is going to be when we don't.
2: Yeah, I mean, that that's kind of what I'm thinking in terms of the monthly records. And, and, you know, like I waffled a little bit about November's overall potential last week when those Pennsylvania numbers had just come in. But that's the only state that's down. We saw the New Jersey numbers go way up in every other state so far that's reported. They've increased from October to November. So, yeah, I'd say it's more likely than not that the three point three or so billion dollar record only lasts a month. And November beats it maybe by a lot. Maybe maybe we cross three 3.5 billion uh, in November. Uh, and it sure looks like Illinois is going to pass Pennsylvania uh, once Illinois' November's, no- November numbers come in, uh, which, if it does happen, it's happening sooner than anyone expected. Uh, the two states have almost identical population sizes. I'm not sure how to explain why Illinois would be a better sports betting state than Pennsylvania. Gary Rotstein wrote an article for PennBets this week trying to explore some theories, but he had more questions really than answers. I don't think it can be as simple as the Eagles had a bye week in November and the Steelers had a game postponed in November. You know, the NFL is a league where people bet All the games, not just their favorite team I don't know, it's interesting I'm not totally sure what to make of it But the positive story here is that There's serious enthusiasm for sports betting In Illinois, they've been waiting Now it's here, the governor keeps Wisely extending the option to register Via mobile, so it's off to a great Start, Uh, and it's going to be a very Interesting race from month to month In 2021 between New Jersey, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Illinois And Michigan to see how those states uh, Stack up with each other
1: uh, yeah, Michigan's got a little bit of a chance there too, but uh, I think it, it, who knows? I mean, I agree with you. That's probably not just a Steeler-Eagle thing, but uh, then again, they, they do have really loyal fan bases. And to the extent that you have uh, casual players who didn't play the illegal market before, some of them may, a lot of them may be betting only Steelers or only Eagles, you know, and they're not going to bet other games. Uh, certainly the people who are experienced sports bettors, as you say, they bet the card. But uh, so I, I think it, I, I would not be shocked if Pennsylvania got back, uh, back on track in the following month.
2: All right, for our second story, let's talk poker, both live and online. The hybrid World Series of Poker main event is underway. The international tournament ended last week with the top prize of just over $1.5 million going to Argentina's Damian Salas, who actually made the main event final table in Vegas just three years ago, finishing seventh. Meanwhile, the online portion of the U.S. version played out on WSOP.com in New Jersey and Nevada last week, and play is currently paused with nine players remaining, heading to the Rio in Las Vegas to play the final table on Monday. The chip leader is Joseph Ebert of Louisiana. There are three New Jersey players, one New York player, and one Pennsylvania player in the mix, and in eighth chip position is three-time bracelet winner Upeska Da Silva, the most recognizable name at the final table. Whoever wins will pocket a little more than $1.5 million, and next Wednesday, he'll face Salas heads up for the bracelet, the title of world champion, and an extra million bucks. ESPN is televising all of this, uh, but not almost live as it has the last several years. Instead, we'll get an edited show that leaves out the less interesting hands, more like what the WSOP broadcast looked like in the early days of the poker boom. Uh, One upset already, the US tournament drew slightly more entrants than the global tournament 705 to 674. And the combined field is by far the smallest since 2003. John, what do you make of those numbers? What do you think of ESPN not doing the all night long stream? And do you want to throw a dart and pick a winner?
1: Uh, you know, I think the whole idea overall is really good, and it's been really well executed. Uh, even if you did suggest a lot of this even before they thought of it, I think. But uh, I'll still give credit to Worth uh, too. Um, I'm not sure what to make of edited shows that provide more drama in a vacuum, but it sometimes seems almost impossible to live in these days. You know, where you don't know what happened. Right. So, but I, look, I just wrapped up another season of delayed watching of The Bachelorette which ended on Tuesday (laughs) and nobody panicked, no spoilers here. Um, So it is possible if you're careful about who you follow on social media and if you can pull it off, you know, I remember watching it back in the day, uh, you know, 15 years ago, I was not tuned in enough to the poker world to really know who really won. So when I was able to watch it, it was the full drama of the whole thing, and it was good. I mean, it's tougher to do now, but it's not impossible. So, as for a winner, you know, for once, give me a parlay: the three Jersey players to finish one, two, three. I got mm. some pretty long odds on that. I assume.
2: <laughs> I would think so. <laughs> uh, well, I, I'm glad that you reminded us all of your love for the Bachelor and the Bachelorette franchise. It had been too long since you uh, since you copped to that on the podcast. Um, so I I was about this ESPN broadcast. I, I scoured the internet, and I cannot find any information about when exactly ESPN will be airing this. I'm not sure how long after it happens we're going to see this. Um, but to the point that, that you were just making, I remember Norman Chad described to me when I was interviewing him for the 2003 World Series Oral History, he described to me those ESPN broadcasts in 2003 as plausibly live for the viewers because nobody followed live updates of poker on the internet. So 99% of the people watching had no idea Chris Moneymaker had won or, or Phil Ivey had been eliminated in 10th place or whatever so it was plausibly live they were watching it spoiler free each week and i wonder if that might be the case again here this year as poker is not top of mind these days this year's world series has taken place pretty well off the mainstream radar so far if they turn this broadcast around a few days later that final table might be plausibly live to much of the audience Uh, now because you know, you and I have to keep tabs on these things for our jobs. We'll know the result already, I, I would presume, unless they can really turn it around fast. So I personally kind of wish there was a live broadcast. But for the casual poker fan, the edited broadcast is much more entertaining. This actually makes a lot of sense to to do it this way. Um, you know, and, and I think had this all happened during the summer when ESPN was, was desperate for live sports programming, it might've been a different story. They might've wanted those 10 hours of live poker to fill their schedule, but at this point they have enough going on that they're fine with just a two hour poker
1: broadcast. So if somebody wants to survive this uh, plausibly live thing and, and kind of just watch the show without knowing anything, can they still follow you on social media in the coming weeks or do they, or do you, are you, you going to spoil them or, mm, or how do you handle that? That's
2: a good decision. I hadn't decided yet. Uh, I'll have to, I'll, I'll have to think about that. I, I think a lot does depend on what ESPN Announces about when it's going to air. If if the, if they're going to get it turned around within a week, then I think maybe the move for me is is not to uh, not to tweet out spoilers. But mm-hmm. if they're going to wait until like February to air this, uh, you can't. We'll, we'll we'll have posted articles by then about the winner, I would think. So, um, and and you know the I, I noted the the field sizes uh, for these two separate tournaments. Um, I'm not really surprised by the overall size of this thing. Uh, I thought maybe that the international field would be a little bit bigger, but I I think anyone who expected this to draw several thousand, uh, those people forget how reluctant a gambler would be to part with $10,000 for an online tournament. You know, for a live tournament, you have a better sense that you're getting your money's worth, you know what to expect, and, and that you'll get a little play out of it. Online moves fast. It, it can end in an instant, and I think that scares some people off of paying 10000 bucks for any single-entry tournament. Um, I, I suspect the fields were were pretty stacked, that there was not a lot of dead money out there, that this was mostly quality players willing to pay that amount. But, uh, you know, this is, you know, we, we ended up with about 15 to 20% as many players as there would have been in a live main event if COVID had never happened. So as uh, this, this hybrid experiment, uh, I don't think they can call it like a, an overwhelming success.
1: Yeah, well I think even more so now than even 5 years ago. Uh, that in-person thing, you're right. I mean because uh, t- you want to see and be seen, you want to you're you're in the casino, you're among the legends, right? You've got a lot of selfies, you're you're, right. you're shooting little mini videos, you're sh- taking a lot of photos, you're on Instagram. I mean, so your whole experience, even if you get knocked out early, is going to be pretty exciting. There's a lot there that, you know, you oh there's Phil Ivey, you walk right past him, maybe you know, he poses with you for a second. So uh, that that's worth a lot of money to most amateur poker players whereas they're sitting at home right they get knocked that right away like where'd my 10 grand go what happened no nobody's even here you know my wife's not even paying attention or whatever my husband's not paying attention so uh yeah so i i agree with you that the size of the tournament mm-hmm. overall is uh is decent it's not great but it's a, it's about what we should have expected
2: Yeah. Um, And just quickly, I want to highlight a few interesting stories to watch at this final table. Uh, De Silva, who I mentioned, is the best player. If he can double his stack, he becomes dangerous. Uh, But, you know, I think the chip leader, Hebert, has to be considered the favorite right now. I got to talk to Ryan Haggerty of Somerset, New Jersey, who's third in chips and wrote a feature on him for NJOnlineGambling.com. He's a proven player who has a shot here. And maybe the most interesting story Gershon Distenfeld, an Orthodox Jewish poker player from Bergenfield who normally doesn't play the main event because you can't avoid playing on Saturday unless you get eliminated quickly. Uh, this year, the online event was Sunday and Monday. The live part is on a Monday and a Wednesday. So he's in the clear. So that that's a really interesting story that uh, this guy Distenfeld will be out there in Vegas playing in a main event that if it wasn't this hybrid set, set up, he he never would have played in it.
1: It's not quite Sandy Koufax in the World Series, but <laughs> but I'm quite. still intrigued. That would that's definitely makes me more uh, in human interest. There uh, kind of lures me in a little bit more.
2: Yeah, he's part of he's part of your three New Jersey player parlay. So uh, you're rooting <laughs> right. for that's him. Right. All right, our final news item of the year takes us to the sport of kings, horse racing. On Monday night, along with the COVID-19 relief package that rightfully got most of the attention, the U.S. Senate passed the Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Act, which is intended to make the sport safer for the horses and quell animal rights activists who want horse racing banned. The House of Representatives passed the legislation in September. And while I hesitate to guess what Donald Trump will or won't do over the next few weeks, according to John's article on this subject on U.S. bets, the outgoing president is expected to sign the H-I-S-A into law. The sport has faced particularly strong criticism in light of the deaths of many racehorses over the past few years, particularly at Santa Anita Park in California. But it is hoped that are we calling this H-I-S-A or is there is there a pronunciation like H-I-S-A? Uh, do you, do you know?
1: Yeah, it's, it's brutal. This is not the first, uh, uh, famous uh, horse racing issue where they, for the acronym, they make horse racing one word. It's kind of mm. brutal, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it is what it is.
2: All right. But I should say, I should spell out the letters H I S A when I'm abbreviating yeah. rather than trying to like make a word like hisa out of it. Yeah, I think okay. so. Yeah. All yeah, right. Exactly. All
1: right. <laughs> so I, I will say this, um, it's interesting to me that I'm not convinced that the one of the big issues that they're trying to solve is Lasix or no Lasix drug issue. It's funny in the horse racing industry. It says it's very important. It's actually better for the safety of horses. Others say it you know, kind of pushes them to to drive forward when they really shouldn't be. Uh, but I don't think that's been settled by the bill. I'm reading conflicting reports on that. Hmm. So really, this is just as much about perhaps calming a stormy ocean of protests, not only against horse racing practices, but also against the very existence of the sport at all. You know, and having coordinated federal oversight of doping schemes, as as well as uh, a lens operator, Jeff Corral's funding for an investigation that led to dozens of arrests in March, uh, this all sets a pretty good tone for the industry. Mm-hmm. A- and ultimately, it's not the more extreme activists you have to worry about as much as the general public that is persuadable. You know, when you get an email from a well-meaning citizen concerned about the safety of horses, they you know they have empathy for them and they have a question. You know, what what's going on? Are you really you know, should this even continue? You know, now there's there's a kind of a media response for uh to the fans to say oh i understand you know we're listening to you we heard that we're reducing the whipping greatly uh you know with the riding crops and we have these new safety we're gonna cut back on on doping and then you know i think that casual and then says okay well good i i'm worried about it but it sounds like you guys have your house in order so i think they've done a good job of that i mean i can't guarantee your horse racing's around in 50 years but at least they i think they've stemmed the tide where you know they're not going to get run over in the next uh, couple of years anyway Okay.
2: Yeah, I, I don't have a, a whole lot to add on this one. I figure uh, that that I would carry the poker discussion a little bit, but that you'd carry the horse racing discussion. Um, the, the bill sounds on paper like a positive step for the industry. You know, monitor the medications being used, protect the horses, try to have a more even playing field. Um, I read, and you link to this in your story, I, I read the National Horsemen's Benevolent and Protective Association's objections to the bill. Uh, they're one of the few that are opposing it. And part of their reasoning, reminds me of when there was talk some 20 years ago about establishing a national commission to oversee boxing it was like yes boxing needs a central authority that would be good for the sport but do we want the federal government running that central authority uh you know we might be opening the door to make the sport more corrupt and more incompetent by doing that it seems like something along those lines is part of the opposition here that the hbpa is skeptical about the people being put in charge. Uh, And also to the point that that you raised uh, that this, this Lasix issue, they're saying Lasix shouldn't be banned outright. It does have some positive uses. I don't know. In theory, at least this seems designed to clean up the sport. And if the number of horse fatalities goes way down, uh, that's certainly great news for everyone.
1: Yeah, I I think it's going to do some good. And uh, like I said, I think they, I think they took a lot of pressure off themselves. Uh, this wasn't easy to get past. Obviously, it took a couple of years, um, but it was uh, critical for them to get out ahead of this. And I think they've done that. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling.
3: Let's get to the Gamblon interview.
2: We end 2020 where we began in 2018 by welcoming back to the podcast our first ever guest, Adam Small, the founder and CEO of US Bets and a partner in Better Collective Tennessee. I was shocked to discover that while this is Adam's third appearance on Gamble On, it's his first in more than two years. I didn't realize it had been that long, far too long, frankly. So Adam, <laughs> welcome back to Gamble On.
3: Wow, I didn't i didn't realize that either. I thought I'd been on more recently than that. <laughs> I'm, I feel like I'm on... Uh... So many different things lately, but I, I miss being on that. I'm glad to be back. <laughs> cool. Well, we are glad
2: to have you. And we asked you to come on the podcast this week, primarily to reflect with us on the highs and lows of 2020. COVID is, of course, the dominant story of the year, and it's been devastating to countless people in a variety of ways. But here in our industry, while the virus was bad for land-based casinos, it did provide a huge boost to mobile sports betting, online casinos, and online poker. Did any of that take you by surprise, or could you sense in February or March when it was first clear that life was about to change, that this could have upside in our industry?
3: Yeah, so, I mean, there, there were different phases of all this, right, in 2020. The early phase was the online poker phase, where everybody got back into online poker because they were home all the time in March and April and May, and uh, and so that got really big for a short time, but then has has retracted a bit since and then sports came back in June for the most part, and that was when sports betting really started to take off online. Um, online casino has been, been doing pretty well the whole year, but sports betting is the one that I think everyone sees the most upside in nationally. It's, it's legal in the most states now by far and has been legalized in more states this year. Um, We're gonna be seeing more markets coming online. We've already had a couple come on this year and we're gonna be seeing more coming on soon. And I think that a lot of that has been pushed ahead by the pandemic, by states having budget shortfalls, which they always have, but they have even more of them now. And also just by people being home a lot and casinos realizing that they can't just depend on people coming in their doors to get revenue. And so uh, some of the future has come at us a little bit more quickly in this industry than maybe it would have otherwise. I think it was all coming regardless, but it's coming a little more quickly. And, you know, there's hope that more states will get on board and realize that, that this makes sense, that it's better than relying on the old systems. And, and so I do think the pandemic has, has pushed us ahead a bit in that regard. Yeah,
2: that that's really a key point about more states uh, sort of sort of realizing the potential for this, or even a, I would say maybe the need for this, based on the way casinos have been been hurting that year. Is it your sense in the industry that 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 message might have come through the the value of having online casino in addition to having your land based casinos?
3: Definitely. I mean, it's it's another political battle to get it passed, just like. Sports betting, just like poker, just like anything else, casino is probably a culturally less accepted product than either poker or sports betting or DFS or anything like that. So it is probably not going to make it through in as many states as sports betting has. But I do believe that states look at New Jersey and see what's happened over the last several years there. They had a very, uh, very much hurting brick and mortar casino industry back in 2013, 2014. And over the last few years, the industry has rebounded a bit, largely uh, due to online casino and then the sports betting industry beginning in New Jersey after PASPA came down. And so I do think other states can look at that and take notes, see that there's been success there and that these are products that have an audience, and uh, that it's better to bring them in house and have them regulated by the state than just be sending all that traffic offshore.
1: Yeah, uh, Adam, you know, long before uh, USBets.com and you
3: founding that, and uh, now a dozen
1: or more sister sites and under the Better Collective umbrella, and everything's growing more and more. But long before all of that, uh, you were a co-founder of a site called uh, Pocket Fives. A poker website,
0: and uh, I don't know if you
1: know, but you have a a a Wikipedia page, but it's in German for Pocket Fives, and I can't read much of it, but it says something about 2005. So it's in Wikipedia, so I know it's true. So that must be how far back you go. It's funny because, of course, I go back about 10 years with online online poker and online casino, because that's when New Jersey started talking about it, and that's when it kind of got interesting, uh, perhaps nationally. So I was getting a lot of not only. uh, following from across the U.S., but also in Europe, because they wanted to get going on it. So New Jersey was pretty efficient about it. As you kind of mentioned, 2013 they passed it, Delaware did too, for what it's worth, and then nothing for years. And then Pennsylvania has it, but apparently not, they're not aware they can be in a multi-state uh, compact yet, so they're kind of asleep at the wheel. And now finally Michigan is coming aboard. So I'm, I'm curious, because you go back further than anybody on online poker. Uh, the previous 10 years, I mean, how, how that rolled out? How exciting or disappointing has it been? And now the next five or six years, are you really bullish on it or are you afraid we're going to have this little stagnation all over again?
3: Yeah, it's a a great question. It's another one that I think kind of like the pandemic, it's been a series of phases for online poker. Uh, I was pretty elated back in 2012 and 2013 when New Jersey, Nevada, Delaware were starting to pass laws and come online it was something that we'd all been waiting for forever um like you mentioned we started pocket fives back in 2005. it was a totally unregulated industry at that time online poker in the u.s and it was huge it was blowing up but it wasn't uh it wasn't being state regulated and uh it was something that we all always wanted we wanted it to be a fully above board legal industry in the u.s and so when that started happening, it was such a big deal. It was so exciting. We we really got on board with the idea of just fully getting in that in that boat with all the uh, all the state regulated sites and then like you said nothing happened for several years and i think 2014 was this year where we were full of lots of hope and by 2016 or so we were pretty deflated about it all just uh we kept having these near misses with state legislatures there was a year where illinois came very close to passing online poker pass it in one house of the legislature but didn't vote on it in the other house pennsylvania kept doing that every year and new york both of them would pass it in one house not get it through the other house And there were always, you know, people, legislators, regulators with their with their hands out dealing with the lobbyists and everything. Even California would get close some years. So we we went through a lot of heartache on all that. Definitely, um, you know, suffered business wise for a while as well, uh, just in terms of just the ability to grow and to generate revenue during all that period. So I, I think the last the last couple of years have provided a lot of hope. Pennsylvania you know, so, so the online poker market hasn't done much there and most of the operators have steered clear, but I I really think Pennsylvania is a special case. It's a, it's a state that's really gone above and beyond to focus on tax revenue rather than uh, growth of an industry. I, I think Every state wants tax revenue, but usually there's balance. Usually there's a bit more of an effort to make it so that the the people in the industry have an opportunity to generate revenue and the state has an opportunity and that there can be kind of a long-term growth where everybody benefits. It's very much the case in New Jersey. In Pennsylvania, the law is almost entirely based around generating max tax revenue. And so people like FanDuel DraftKings, they wanna be in there because they wanna be everywhere. They wanna be the main brand. Uh, BetMGM, all the big ones, but for online poker where that's not that important of a product nationally right now, I think that people just haven't place to focus on that. And I I do believe it'll be big in Pennsylvania once online poker matters nationally, but it's been slow to grow there. So to come back to a question about Michigan and and what's going on going forward, Michigan, uh, for those who don't know, just recently uh, sent to the governor a bill that is going to, once signed, uh, make it so that Michigan can join interstate online poker networks, which three other states are already in, uh, Delaware, Nevada, and New Jersey. And Michigan will nearly double that pool in terms of the population that's served by this online poker multi-state network. And uh, you know, Michigan's a big state. It's it's going to be a huge online gambling state in general. As online casino, sports betting are coming very soon, and uh, and it's a big step forward for online poker in the U.S. And I do believe I believe for a long time, and continue to believe that this will continue to proliferate. It might happen at a slower rate than sports betting because it doesn't have the same backers. It doesn't have as many interested parties out there with the power to push it ahead. But once it starts to get some some momentum behind it with growth in the US, with online poker becoming a more popular product again, which it will because lots of people like to play and liquidity is so key in the industry, uh, I do believe that more... Smaller and medium-sized states will be incentivized in ways that they haven't been to date because uh, a state like, for example, uh, Kentucky, just to name kind of a a smaller population state, but one with quite a bit of roots in online gambling and gambling in general. uh, There was not a lot of incentive to pass online poker there before because what are you going to do with an inter- with an interstate online poker network in Kentucky? Kentucky doesn't have enough people to have any interesting tournaments uh, or you know have many games running. But if Kentucky can just latch on to a network that's already serving 30 million people in the U.S. or 50 million or 100 million, then there's a lot more incentive for Kentucky and other states like it, uh, you know, Arizona or whatever. You know, uh, it doesn't have to include California or Illinois or or Florida in order to uh, to make it attractive. So I do think we'll, we'll start to see some of the smaller medium sized States, maybe some of the ones that have sports betting like Indiana and Colorado and Tennessee eventually get around to adding online poker to what's available there. Once, once they know that they don't have to just get networks running from scratch. I've, uh,
2: my, I date back in the uh, poker industry basically to the same time as you, early, early 05, and so uh, sometime when we have more time, the two of us can create a timeline of all the moments where uh, uh, the online poker legislation and optimism and got our heart broken and got stressed out and uh, went up and down again. So we're, we're in a bit of an up mode now, but I, I think you are correct to, uh, to not expect things to happen too quickly.
3: Yeah, I'll need a, a bottle of good wine or whiskey <laughs> for that day, but we can do it.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, All right. So I, I want to focus on one specific state with regard to sports betting and uh, Tennessee. You, you live not too far from there. Uh, I know you've made visits to Tennessee since sports betting launched there. It took a while to go from passing legislation to actually starting to take bets. But now that it's finally happened. How impressed are you with the mobile sports betting scene in Tennessee? And do you expect any other states without casinos will follow their lead on on sports betting?
3: Yeah, um good question. Uh, it's It's going great so far. It's a very small uh, state so far in terms of the number of operators participating. It's there are four operators, uh, the three bigs really, which is FanDuel DraftKings and BetMGM. MGM. And then um there's a local site called Action 247 that is very small right now, is run by people in Tennessee. They're not they don't have at least publicly stated ambitions to be in more states besides Tennessee. It's run by the same people who run a pretty major um I don't know if I'm saying the right thing, but bail bonds or something like that. It's called advanced financial and, uh, and payday loans, whatever, whatever uh, you call them, short-term loans. Right. And uh, and so they're they're uh, you know trying to get going with sports betting. It hasn't done much so far, but the rest of the sites. Uh, I mean, I was in Nashville a few weeks ago, and the billboards are everywhere. Everyone's talking about it. Um, I was actually at the Titans Colts Thursday night game about a month ago, hmm. and Uh, there was an odds boost I remember on FanDuel for uh, I think it was Derrick Henry over six and a half yards in the first quarter or something like that and uh and on the last play of the first quarter I mean the clock's winding down he's at negative one yard I believe for the quarter and then he ran for eight yards on that last play and like everyone around us was cheering and they're all like yeah we got our 50 bucks or whatever and uh, I remember just thinking at the time like wow this is I mean this was probably two weeks after not even two weeks after sports betting had gone live there and already everybody was on FanDuel. They were all betting on this exact same thing. (laughs) And obviously, you know, the the crowd at a Titans game is not a representative sample of, you know, all the people in Nashville or Tennessee, but um, to see how quickly it caught on and how many people were into it uh, was, was good to see. I I mean, we've had, you know, just the numbers that we track internally uh, look really solid for the state. Uh, the person in charge of regulating more or less Danielle Boyd is tremendous she was also behind a lot of the regulatory efforts early on in West Virginia and um, she's really a professional you know to the highest degree she knows what she's doing and has has gotten that market off the ground and and going solidly so I I think uh, I think a lot about Tennessee I think uh, we're going to see a, a bunch more operators join in the next three months. It's going to go from four operators to probably ten or more. I know that there, are, I, I believe, four more scheduled to come on within a month, but there'll be several more on top of that in 2021. And so the market will change; it'll get more competitive, like you know, Colorado or New Jersey, or you know, one of these states that has a bunch of operators, and we'll we'll see what happens at that time. But I think it's going well right now. And and, and to answer your question about states that don't have casinos, Um, it's another interesting one. It's something that um, it's a topic that's come up a bunch with some people that we know, lobbyists, regulators, and so on. Uh, how, How states like Tennessee, as an example, would would deal with this. West Virginia also has a a lottery regulated industry, although they do have a few brick and mortar casinos. It's kind of similar that everything runs through the lottery there. There's been talk about Georgia, state where I live now, uh, very similar to Tennessee. There's a successful state lottery. They even have an online lottery here in Georgia, but there are no brick and mortar casinos. There have been efforts to pass laws to create them for years, but none of it has passed so far. But all the sports teams here, uh, all four of the, uh, actually there's no hockey team right now, but the Atlanta United, I believe, and the three uh, big four sports teams that are here, all uh, are saying that they want legalized sports betting at this point. They're all in support and we expect it to happen. We think, uh, I-, I think online sports betting may happen in this state before there are brick and mortar casinos. And so that would be another example of that where probably the lottery just becomes the de facto regulatory agency and um, it provides a model for other states that that haven't gone into casinos, uh, possibly even a model for something like Texas to, um, to legalize, which would be obviously a really big deal for the industry. So I, I do think we'll see more of that. I'm glad you brought up uh, Texas, Adam, because I'm going to
1: throw this one at you. Um, One of the weird things about how sports betting legally has rolled out in the last two years in the United States is that about half the states have already passed it. That's a pretty impressive uh, speed, I think, faster than a lot of people in the industry expected. But if you go by population, it's not as impressive because the big four, you've got California, Texas, Florida, completely asleep at the wheel. And then New York State does have upstate New York four commercial casinos, uh, you know, in-person sports betting but no mobile in an enormous state and obviously right next to new jersey so we're enjoying uh those new yorkers spending their money uh and giving us tax dollars but um it's kind of strange so uh, taking new york is, is so underutilized as to be lumped in with the other big three out of those four uh you know from your talks is are any of them going anywhere anytime soon is there anyone that you would predict uh, boldly predict will be the first one of the four to legalize sports betting and then also uh um, you know, is, or is one going to be the last one left at the gate?
3: Yeah, it's, it's funny. I mean, it's a topic that comes up a ton, especially with investor types and people that, you know, want to get into the industry in some way or other. Certainly, if you look at the um, stock market valuations of DraftKings and FanDuel or, or Flutter, FanDuel's parent company, uh, people seem to believe that eventually some of these big four states will be online. And I think we all believe that if we can fast forward 20 years from now that, most of them will be online by that time but in any particular year it always seems like they're all at least five years away Uh and uh you know each state has its own issues california is the most messed up definitely in terms of just the um political lines that are drawn there and how difficult it makes it to uh to get this passed this isn't a um a political battle like the ones that most people are used to hearing about in the news all the time it's not a democrat republican thing it's more of a um, you just got these these existing incumbent interests like the racetracks and the tribes that have casinos in certain places there are commercial casinos there are card rooms and uh legislators don't want to back bills that upset one or more of these groups uh, in, to benefit another one. It's always a, a constant balancing act and, and inertia usually wins out on these things. Uh, they, don't, they don't get laws passed because they can't get enough of these stakeholders to agree on what they want to do there. And, and that's been going on with online poker for years and years and years. And I'm sure will be the continuing issue with something even bigger revenue wise, like sports betting, And so California, I think, is, you know, for the foreseeable future, just not happening. Uh, Florida, there's always talk. There are a lot of people interested. It it seems like theoretically there should be a lot of support for it, but there are some competing interests there and uh, also some constitutional issues that make it challenging. Uh, New York also has constitutional issues, but there are major stakeholders, most notably recently, the governor who has come out and said, okay, maybe we can just do this. Um, I'm always skeptical in New York, because people seem to be so good at saying things that directly oppose each other. Like, uh, you know, uh, legislator uh, Pretlow, Gary Pretlow, who's well known in this industry will will come out and say he thinks it's going to happen. And then later, you don't really know if he's on your side, he always seems to be saying what people want to hear. But things haven't happened there but I do think you know New York New York has a special situation where all this money is flowing out to New Jersey and probably Pennsylvania now as well and you've got to wonder at some point why like why they would allow this massive New York City metro area to let so much money flow out uh so I I do think New York has a, a decent chance of doing it sooner maybe than the other two I mentioned and and then Texas the last one it seems to have the fewest impediments, at least structurally, to getting something done, and it's probably more uh, an issue of just getting more of the, the traditional political issues resolved there. The you know um, social conservative desire to not have gambling, um, you know, from the more kind of religious residents of the state, and um, and just figuring out uh, figuring out if they can get enough support to get a, a casino industry going in general there and so that's uh that's one that I feel like you know if it got the right kind of momentum could get something done pretty fast um Florida New York I kind of put in the middle like they'll they'll get it done at some point but it's probably anyone's guess as to what year it'll just it'll seem like nothing's happening and then one day it'll just all happen all at once and uh and then California just you know the year 2150 or whatever
1: (laughs) yeah i I kind of agree on texas i think that and uh, you kind of alluded to it but you know in in those other three states um there's a kabuki theater you know as soon as the issue comes up everybody goes about their paces they know what to do they have the script memorized they show up the the interest groups uh you know the lobbyists they show up at hearings and and put out press releases and, and Everybody knows what to do in order to get make nothing happen. Whereas Texas is sort of a clean slate, relatively speaking, and so now they're just starting to pay attention. When sports betting is legal, online casino is now being paid more attention to than it was even you know two or three years ago. And so they're noticing, oh wow, we can do a lot of these things. I mean, I could get even have casinos, uh, even commercial casinos. Who knows? Uh, so I think that's why I, th- I like Texas. If I can get a good
3: price on them, that's the one I pick. Yeah, it's it's definitely. Uh... The one with the fewest structural issues in a way by far, and it's just more that, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely much more traditional politics and a lot less like haranguing tribal compacts and things like that, that are just really, really challenging, because I think a lot of us don't even fully understand all the issues at play there. Um, the tribal stuff in particular, I've, I've personally learned a lot the last couple of years. I went in with some assumptions about it that I think were incorrect. And, and there really is this just massive underserved community in a bunch of these states that depends so heavily on the revenue that comes in. And there's, there's just a major fear of losing that revenue and never being able to get it back and not being able to replace it with anything. And so while I, I'm not a fan of protectionism in general, I think uh, I understand where it comes from and why it's hard to get past the way things are today. Yeah. All right.
2: Well, great stuff. It is always great to talk to you, Adam. Uh, maybe we should make this an annual tradition, uh, closing the podcast year with you as our it. guest. And maybe <laughs> you know, festivus with Adam Small. What do, you, what do you think of that?
3: I'm I'm in. I'm in. If you guys want me on the last show of the year every year, I'm in.
2: Perfect. <laughs> we'll uh, we will we'll put we'll put it in pencil for now, but uh, we'll lock it in as we get a little later into the year. Well, happy okay. holidays to uh, to you and your family, and uh, thanks for coming
3: on the pod again. Likewise. Thanks, guys. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or
1: blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll.
2: We'll get to the fast five shortly, but first, let's update our shared bankroll. And we went a combined two and one on the week to book a small win. I lost $110 with my Austin Eckler receiving yards. He only got about halfway there. John won almost all of that back, profiting $100 by taking Northwestern plus 21 points. And then I won a $75 at plus 150 odds on the Canelo fight lasting the full 12 rounds. So that's a profit of $65. We're now in the red by $701. We have $1,171 on hold in futures bets, leaving us with $8,128 available to bet with this week and i'm up first and before i make my first bet a quick gronk update uh he only got 29 yards last week he's Uh back to being slightly under pace we need him to go under 84 receiving yards in the final two games it is going to be a nail biter uh all right on to my first bet this week uh john morantz of the memphis grizzlies gives every indication he's ready to make a leap in his second season He looked great in the preseason, averaging 17 and a half points in just 25.8 minutes per game. Last year in the bubble, he was averaging about 37 minutes per game and with a couple of key teammates injured to start the season in any competitive game, I'd expect him to play somewhere between 36 and 40 minutes. If he plays like he did in the preseason, seventeen and a half points in twenty six minutes is the same as twenty-four and a quarter points in thirty-six minutes. His line for tonight's opener against San Antonio is just twenty point five, and you only have to pay minus one oh two on the over. I expect Ja to start the season with a big game. Let's bet $102 to win a hundred over twenty and a half points.
1: Meanwhile, we've got two college football. All games on Wednesday, one on Christmas Eve, one on Christmas, and three more on Saturday. I mean, what a time to be alive. It's really amazing. <laughs> uh, give me Houston minus 11 points over Hawaii at 112 to 100 in the New Mexico Bowl. That is, by, by the way, is being played in a Dallas suburb on Christmas Eve because... It's 2020. That's why they're playing in Texas. Yeah. Um, No particular home base advantage here, really, although it's Texas. So you will see some fans. Um, But four and four Hawaii can't be thrilled to be thousands of miles from home on Christmas Eve. And how excited can you be to try to prove yourself against three and four Houston? And by the way, look at me line shopping like a real boy and seeing Houston at minus 13 and 110 on bet MGM and only using my $5 free bet at that odds. For Gamble On, I got the minus 11 for us. Excellent. I appreciate line shopping. Uh,
2: that's, it's important to do. Um, all right. So my final regular season NFL bet that I'll be making on the podcast will be a three team money line parlay. Uh, I went uh, two for three in real life parlays and teasers last week. Uh, that part of my betting proved profitable. So I'm pushing my luck like any self-respecting gambler would. Um, I call this one the favorites fighting for their playoff lives parlay three teams, all small favorites, all absolutely needing a win and playing against teams only motivated by pride and the opportunity to play spoiler. I'm taking the Cardinals, currently the seventh seed in the NFC over the banged up and eliminated 49ers. I'm taking the Dolphins, tied with Baltimore for the seventh seed in the AFC over the once promising, now hapless Raiders. And I'm taking the Bears, one game out of a playoff spot right now, Over the Jags. Uh, And yes, if the Cardinals win Saturday, the Bears won't be playing for as much on Sunday, Uh, but they would win a tiebreaker over Arizona, so they cannot be mathematically eliminated prior to their game on Sunday. And more importantly, they're playing the Jags, who unlike the jets are playing like absolute dog crap at the right time. Uh, So that's the parlay Cardinals, Dolphins, bears. I shopped around also Uh, it pays plus two Oh six at Fox bet. So let's bet $50 to win $103. And I know you're sitting there thinking two of those teams are going to win and one's going to lose. And I know where your where your brain is going on this. Uh, Honestly, none of them are sure things. uh, And that's what makes this one kind of fun.
1: All right, I'm going to shock you with this one in the last one of the year, uh, appropriate. I took an odds boost on DraftKings for 100 to win 125 on your guy Ben Simmons of the 76ers, the over on his three-point field goals this season. Uh, I know I'm blindsiding you, but at those odds, what number would make you say that I'm, I'm making a smart play? Uh, well, <laughs> I, yeah. ma- I made the same bet uh, as
2: you because I saw the same uh, the same yeah. odds boost. Okay. So so I so I do like that number. It's going to be somewhere. Around there, I think, uh, Three but, and a half. yeah, yeah I mean, it's it, it's uh, I don't know. Either either he's only going to end up shooting one or two all season, just like last year, uh, or or he's going to open up a little bit and he'll end up hitting like a dozen of them this year. I, I, it could go either way.
1: I think it's a fun pick because right, he could have he could be over one after midseason, and you're still not dead. I mean, you got a shot. Um, in fact, if he has one or two entering the final meaningless game. Maybe hoist a couple up. What the heck? Can you win? Right. So, so how much are you putting on that one? Uh, that's a hundred to hundred twenty-five for the odds. Okay. Boost.
2: All right. Uh, I I wonder. We have to have an off-air discussion at some point whether whether odds boost should should be uh, considered kosher for our uh, definitely not like the. Um, We've avoided doing like the crazy free money type stuff that they do. Uh, (laughs) This minor odds boost, maybe it's kosher. I'm not sure, but uh, we'll, we'll count it for now and reassess in 2021. Uh, But I I do like that bet. I'm, I'm sweating it right along with you in real life. All right. And we'll wrap things up with the fast five where a weird week ended with our head to head matchup Monday night between John Steelers and my Bengals nudging me ahead of John for the week, but not quite gaining enough ground to feel good about my chances. I went 2-2-1. Two, two, and one. John had a rare double-push week to go 1-2-2. Two, and two. So with two weeks remaining, John's record stands at 38-33-4, and, and I'm 35-38-2, four games back with 10 to play. Because we're recording early this week, Westgate lines are not out yet, so we'll use the Caesars lines as of Tuesday night. And, John, you're up first.
1: Well, you know, Eric, you can still finish 45, 38, and 2, which is 54.1%, a winning season at the ticket window. Um, I can go 48, 33, and 4, and 58.8%, which sounds familiar to me since that's exactly the record I finished with in in 2019. So let's both dare to dream, and let's try it. (laughs) All right, uh, Vikings plus 7 versus Saints on Christmas Day. Uh, The nostalgia for Drew Brees is cute, I guess, but in gambling, it's not personal. It's business. Uh, Week nine, the Saints crushed the Bucks. Sure, that was a big one. Week three, they battled Green Bay in a seven-point loss. That was good. Uh, No Michael Thomas, no healthy Brees. It's walking around 11 broken ribs. Uh, I, I just don't see it. Vikings are a confusing team, but they'll be competitive as usual. Um, Dolphins minus three versus Raiders on Saturday. Uh, I'm risking two more ties this week with full number spreads like this one, but uh, this is not to Miami head coach Brian Flores and quarterback Tua against a horrendous secondary of Las Vegas. Uh, the game plan will be there, and uh, I like the Dolphins pretty big in this one. Then Colts minus one and a half versus Steelers. You know, I called the nine and O Steelers the weakest such team ever weeks ago. And then they padded that lead at 11 and 0. It was ridiculous. Uh, now they're 11 and 3 and exposed. And I feared they'd get way too many points in this spot. They did not, one and a half. So, meanwhile, the Colts are a sleeper Super Bowl champion pick. Hmm. uh then football team minus two and a half versus panthers but uh, those of you who can wait on this uh keep an eye on a couple things injury status of uh, team quarterback alex smith running back antonio gibson and a couple of their linebackers help if any of those scenarios pan out give the two and a half give the three maybe give three and a half uh and quarterback haskins visit to a strip club on sunday night Uh, apparently wanted to blend in by leaving his face mask in a pile with the entertainer's clothing, by the way, uh, it can make you some money because as with any luck at all, he's benched for Smith or even one of those unrelated Allen brothers that are quarterbacks in the NFL, uh, which is a net positive for team. And finally, Rams plus one and a half over to Seahawks. Yes, the Rams lost to the Jets was bizarre, but everyone gets a mulligan. The Seahawks didn't exactly cover themselves in glory, sleepwalking through the second half or holding on against football team either. Um, the Rams' body of work in 2020 versus Seahawks has uh, got me pretty confident there. And good luck, Eric.
2: All right. Thank you. And good luck to you as well. Um, I am, uh, so I, strategically here, I, I'm not necessarily looking to go against you head to head, although I would have been happy to take one or two of those opportunities if they came. But the one thing that I absolutely want to avoid is any shared picks. I just can't afford to reduce my opportunities to gain on you from the 10 games I currently have to nine or eight or whatever. So I actually came armed this week with eight sides that I would be okay with picking and I ranked them in order so I could just pick my five favorites that remained after I eliminated any that you also took and so it turns out you took my number three uh, which I will eliminate from my pool which was that Indy minus one and a half I will not make that uh, that pick although I like it and you took my number six so it wasn't going to crack my top five except now it would have but now it won't uh, because I'll take it out also and that was the Dolphins. Um, so. Uh, here is what I will officially be picking five totally independent games from your five. My favorite game of the week is the Bills minus seven at New England. Uh, I admit I was way wrong last week on the Bills. I thought the Broncos would be a trap game for them, but instead Buffalo showed they're just playing peaking at the right time. There will be no letdowns or trap games. This is a good team playing well week in and week out and the pats are officially eliminated their quarterback stinks i'm okay laying seven points on the road these are two teams headed in totally opposite directions next up i'm counting on my eagles to win and cover for me it's way too soon to tell if jalen hurts is actually any good but he undoubtedly is providing a spark Uh, the team is rallying behind him he has every skill position player around him healthy except for deshaun jackson and most importantly he can run with the ball and bail out Doug Peterson when the coach makes a stupid decision to go for it on fourth and sixth. The Eagles are minus two on the road in Dallas. I generally say beware the small home dog, but in this case, I like the Eagles giving two points. Uh, Next up, we have been over the fact that the Chiefs Always win, but rarely cover. They're now up to six straight wins by six points or less. This is who they are. Their defense lets the other team back into the game. And the Falcons are getting 10 and a half. That's a lot of points for a team that has some offensive firepower. And of their 10 losses this year, seven are one score losses. We know what happens here. Atlanta is up like 20 to seven in the second quarter. That's when you bet the Chiefs money line. The Chiefs storm back. They go up by like 11 and then the Falcons backdoor it. That's, that's what's going to happen. So I'm taking the Falcons. Um, next up, I am not sold on the Packers. Uh, they're a good team, but not as good as their record suggests. They've only played three games this year against teams that would be in the playoffs if the season ended today. And they're one and two in those games. They're playing a playoff team this week, hosting Tennessee. The Titans are getting three and a half points. I love that number. Good luck to the Packers keeping Derek Henry in check. Give me Tennessee. Uh, and so the last one here, after I skip over the Dolphins pick that I won't be making, I'm going to go with the Bears. Uh, at first glance, the Bears minus seven and a half. Looks like you're giving up the hook, but... Eight has become a weird key number this season. Teams play to keep it within eight, so they have a shot at the end. So Chicago minus seven and a half puts me on the right side of that hook, if not the more traditional hook on the other side of seven. I'm hoping it won't even matter. The Bears are playing well of late. David Montgomery has found his mojo, and the Jags are a disaster. Uh, The wheels have come off. Uh, Management would be thrilled to lose two more times and draft Trevor Lawrence. Uh, So I will take Chicago to cover the seven and a half. And next week, since there won't be a podcast, we'll post our respective picks on Twitter on Thursday, regardless of whether John has or has not clinched victory heading into week 17. Uh And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Adam Small. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And remember, we're off next week. So the next podcast will post on January 7th of a year that thankfully is not 2020. And with that John for the final time in this godforsaken calendar year please take us out.
1: Yep, uh, I'll be home for Christmas, you can count on me, right? <laughs> um, as 2020 winds down every one of us whatever our beliefs whatever we're celebrating, you know, we've had to think long and hard about what to do obviously about visiting loved ones uh, as this year as you say finally finally comes to an end. You know i mentioned that song also in part because it was my mom's favorite holiday song singing in the kitchen when i was a kid and i was sort of as a light upbeat tune because of the way she sang it uh well of course it was first sung by bing Crosby being released in october 1943 and it was to denote a world war ii soldier writing a letter from across the world somewhere and it concludes with the you know i'll be home for christmas if only in my dreams um of course december 1944 my future dad is stationed over in england uh you know waiting to continue his uh, missions. Uh, future mom, no doubt, sang that song a little differently that Christmas. And a uh, uh, dad wouldn't have heard it, by the way, because the BBC banned it as too demoralizing. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, just five days after that holiday, that B-17 crew was strafed with anti-aircraft fire and the co-pilot was killed in action. But six months after that, my dad was home safe and helping plan a small wedding in Brooklyn. And that's why such a poignant, almost heartbreaking song. had such a different meaning in, in subsequent years for my mom. I mean, so what do we do this week in the center of the COVID storm? You know, unlike that crew, uh, seven of whom were injured as well. Uh, we have far more of a chance to shape our own destiny right now. You know, occasionally, I've lightheartedly referred in these closings to, well, life's a gamble. Yeah, there's nothing lighthearted today. But I'm trusting all of you to make your wisest possible decisions. So maybe we can all be around the same time next year. And with that, until next time and until next year, be safe and be smart, everybody. And then let's gamble on in 2021.